So that's it. If you don't know me, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and this morning, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Daniel. And we're going to be in chapter 6. This may be a, a well-known passage to you if you are familiar with church life. If not, no worries. Uh, by the end of today, it will be familiar to you and hopefully will apply to your life. And so um, we've been, as, Dan, or as uh, Daniel, as Brandon mentioned, uh, we're going to continue our study um, in this concept of faithful in exile. And the book of Daniel is, is a big part of how the Israelites were in exile physically, um, also spiritually. But in our lives, we as Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? What does that mean? That means we're here physically. We're here to be faithful to Christ, to walk according to his word and to help others know and meet him. But we know this is not our ultimate home. In fact, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we're called to be sojourners, right? We're on our way to what is going to be our ultimate home, right? Uh, so faithful now, yet patiently expectant for the next life. And so to kind of catch us up in context, if you haven't been here for the whole series or if you missed last week, um, Daniel chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, we see Daniel being uh, elevated or exalted to a position of power. And so to quickly give you a summary of chapter 5, uh, this king Belshazzar comes on the scene. He does not love the Lord. He does not honor the Lord. Uh, he's in fact very arrogant, very prideful. He boasts in his own strength. Um, and another vision happens, and no one can interpret it, right? Coincidentally, Daniel's brought in, and he interprets this dream and basically says, hey, king, your time is up, right? Your, your kingdom is going to fall, and the reason is because you have not honored the Lord, and the Lord's going to bring your kingdom to a fall. And so if you know anything about history, what happens, in fact, that very night is the Medes and Persians, they sneak under the wall, and down goes the mighty Babylon. The scripture teaches us over and over again that God raises up kingdoms and kings and brings them down. And so the mighty Babylon falls, and then in chapter 6, we kick into a new regime, right? The Medes and Persians come in, and so the great kingdom of Persia is being risen up. And so uh, Daniel, at the end of chapter 6, as I mentioned, is being raised up. And this chapter 6 likely took place within a year or two of, of uh, Persia coming to the scene. And so if you're a big historian, um, most would say this is somewhere between 539 and 537 B.C., and Daniel himself would have been on up into his 80s, right? He's an older man, and we'll talk through this cadence of his life throughout his whole existence on earth. Um, as a side note, if you are an ancient historian studier, um, there's a lot of uh, conversation and ink that's been spilt over who this King Darius the Mede really was. Some would say, or most would say, either A, it's uh, uh, Guberu, which was the governor of Babylon. Some would say this was actually the great King Cyrus. Uh, but regardless, if you have interest, um, there's a lot of really good stuff out there on the side um, to, to study that. So uh, regardless of where we find ourselves and who this king actually is, we do know one thing. A new government is upon us, right? A new regime has moved in. Babylon has come to an end. Persia's come to, to the top. And today, I want you to pay attention to something very closely that Brandon has helped us think through, even through our worship time. The sovereignty of God, his power and control over all things is at the forefront. And I'll continually remind you that Daniel is not the main character here. Daniel happens to be someone that we'll refer to a lot, but I don't want you to miss the person behind Daniel, okay? So look at chapter 6 in the book of Daniel. If you don't know where it's at, go to Psalms, take a right. Go over about this much in your Bible, maybe you'll find Daniel. If not, I have it on the screen. We're reading from the ESV. If it looks a little different than what you've got, that's okay. We'll work through it together. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 first. And verse 1, it says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. 
and over them three high officials in whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account, so that the king might suffer no less. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So the first thing I want you to see is I want you to understand as Christians that we must let God be the one to exalt us. We must let God be the one to raise us up. So here's Darius. He wasted no time in organizing the kingdom, right? So the scriptures tell us pretty quickly in regards to logistics that he sets 120 satraps up. Some would call these little presidents. I think a better way to understand it would be uh, these were likely lower officials that were considered to be protectors of the kingdoms, right? And so they're, they're these little protectors. And then over these 120 satraps, the king appointed three high officials, of which Daniel was one. And to take it a step further, Daniel was regarded as really more favored and in more regard than these other two. As you can imagine, um, this brought a lot of jealousy upon these two men um, that, by the way, did not recognize the Lord uh, as Daniel did. And so the scripture continues to say that the reason this was is because he had an excellent spirit within him. Now, now let me pivot here just a little bit because I have no doubt that Daniel's um, reputation had preceded him, right? If, if you work through just the first five chapters, Daniel's done some pretty good stuff in the name of the Lord, right? They, they've heard about him interpreting dreams. They've heard about the fiery furnace. They've heard about the writing on the wall and him interpreting that, right? But, but I, I, don't, I don't think, and I think the reason the scripture works us through all of this, I don't think that that's the only reason why he was distinguished or regarded. Because let's be honest, he was, he was regarded in the kingdom of Babylon. The new king comes in and they could have easily said, mm -mm, nope, your allegiance is to the other kingdom. We're cutting you down. We're cutting you out. Besides, you're in exile. You're from Israel. You're not even a real Babylonian. But yet the Lord places Daniel in this position of high regard. And I want to dig a little deeper into what this excellent spirit was all about. So number one, you see this incredible faithfulness, right? Daniel was faithful in all that he did. But as I mentioned a minute ago, I want to point out more than just Daniel's faithfulness. More importantly, I want, I want you to see the standard by which Daniel defined his faithfulness. Daniel was the man that he was because of the God that he served. He was the man that he was because of his commitment to God over all things. And God defined what faithfulness was for him. His plumb line, we like to say this in our house a lot, his plumb line for faithfulness was found nowhere else other than with the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. So Daniel had this, this recognition, this understanding, and this commitment to a faithfulness that was outside man or mankind. So let me ask you this rhetorically, right? <laughs> How often do we see our culture trying to redefine morality and faithfulness. I mean, I could give you five different examples right now standing before you. I won't, right, in an effort of time. But the culture continues to redefine what faithfulness is and what morality is. Daniel, on the other hand, was so intimately connected and dependent on God, his faithfulness was unwavering. Now, I want to make sure we see this uh, scenario clear, really clear, right? So here's Daniel, incredibly successful. 
He was number two in the kingdom, by the way, just under the king. <laughs> so he could almost do anything he wanted, right? Think of the greatest, most powerful superstar you've ever seen in your life in America. He didn't lack for money or influence or power or prestige. Yet his life was willingly and submissively controlled by the Lord. We don't like that word in America a lot, do we? It's America. We have our rights and our liberty and we do what we want. In fact, as Amy and I have continued to talk about the coronavirus, a lot of the, uh, those, those um, at, at the top of the conversation are saying they're worried, most worried about America and the coronavirus spreading throughout the country if it does make, it way, make its way here because Americans are not used to being controlled. We are not used to being told where we can and cannot go and what we can and cannot do. So now in our lives, we, we may have a little bit of a hard time relating to Daniel. I, I have no doubt that many of you here are very talented and intelligent, probably a lot more intelligent than me, and you're going to do big things for the University of Michigan and Clemson and everywhere else that you come from, right? But I very seriously doubt that any of us in this room currently and or in future tense will ever understand the power and the prestige and, and the influence that Daniel had at this point. Yet in our lives... We lack this type, this type of commitment oftentimes to the Lord. We lack this type of unwavering commitment with our tongue or with our finances or with our relationships. Yet here we see Daniel with this an incredible commitment amidst what I believe could be one of the most historical accounts of powerful licentiousness. Think about it. Endless amounts of money endless amounts of influence. He could redefine what, what right and wrong was at any given moment, and no one around him would say anything else. He could do whatever he wanted. Yet, look behind Daniel. The Lord had ultimate authority in his life. I think it's because of this, that's why there was an excellent spirit within him. Don't miss the person at the center. It's not Daniel. It's the Lord that Daniel serves. And I'm convinced, church, in our lives, without this type of commitment and further a personal relationship with Christ, that our pursuit of faithfulness will often be fleeting and at the very best inconsistent. Without the help of the Lord and his work in Daniel's life, this type of resolve just wouldn't exist. He was faithful in his work, and Christians must do the same regardless of your status or of your intelligence or of your position or of your wildest dreams that you're pursuing. Our relationship with Christ asks of us to put him first, prioritize him so that faithfulness comes. And by the way, he promises his spirit to help us walk in this manner of faithfulness. The second thing I want you to see is uh, his integrity. Verse four, I'll just read it to you quickly again. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So in verse 4, we see this incredible amount of integrity, right? It's an integrity that had no cracks. Don't forget, Daniel's really a politician. So he was not only trustworthy, but he was an uncorrupt politician. Let's talk about that in America, right? I don't care what side of the political spectrum you find yourself on. We're not going to talk about that. But there's very little uncorrupt politicians in our country, right? Here was Daniel, unwavering, committed, faithful, integral, 
it was almost uncanny, the type of integrity he had. He was driven by his commitment to the Lord's objective morality, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. So let me stop for a minute and ask you, does this mean Daniel didn't make mistakes? I mean, is the Lord calling you not to make mistakes? Of course Daniel made mistakes. He was man. He was a human. However, his commitment to the Lord created this overall consistency that bloomed into integrity. In other words, more often than not, he pursued faithfulness. Another way to say it would be, it was more weird to choose something that wasn't integral than it was to choose something integral. So when we step back and we take all this into account, Daniel did not exalt himself. Instead, it was the Lord who exalted Daniel. The Lord gave him favor and he gave him power. And if you look at Daniel's life in contrast to the last couple kings we've seen, right? As Michael would say, King Neb, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then King Belshazzar in chapter five. These two men boasted in arrogance about what they had done. Look at me, look at what I had done, look at what I deserve. Daniel, in, in incredible contrast, even on more than one occasion, looked at the kings and said, keep, keep, when, when they said, hey, we'll give you all these great things if you interpret the, gene, the dream, Daniel was like, look, keep your status and keep your money. I serve the Lord. Daniel, in contrast, was very apparently committed to something so different. He recognized the Lord's power and rested in that and pursued the Lord's glory over all things. These other two kings boasted in their own achievements and they placed all of their stature and all of their continuance of power in their own strength. What a scary place to be. Last I checked, you weren't causing your lungs to expand and contract. You weren't causing your brain to see synapses to the rest of your body to move. I saw an, uh, uh, something on Discovery Channel recently, just how the kneecap works. It's unbelievable how the kneecap works. I, I, I don't know anything about it. But I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like the kneecap does what, what it does. You're not causing that to happen. You didn't cause that to happen, right? Daniel recognizes this incredible sovereign God that created all things through his word and sustains all things throughout all eternity. So let's, let's bring it down just a little bit to our level. And let me ask you a, a few more story, uh, rhetorical questions. You, you'll find that with me when I teach. I ask a lot of questions of myself as I study, and I want to do the same to you. So if you'll allow me, how often do we find ourselves here, right? If you're not a king or a queen, unless there's something you had not told me. But how often do you find yourself posturing yourself for the position or for maybe a friendship or a relationship? Maybe fearful that you'll be found out. How often does your heart cry out, even if no one knows it but only you and the Lord, how often does your heart cry out, look at what I did. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at where I've gotten myself. Do, do you know who I am? Do you know what I deserve? How often does, does your pride show itself in, in, in lack of grace with others? Maybe there's an area in your life that you're more strong than me and you're around me and you lack grace with me because you're greater. What, what about indifference to the Lord in your own life as if you control your own destiny? Lord, I understand I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, but I got this, Lord, I got this. I know what I'm after. I know what I'm capable of. 
you stay over there, I got this. You're over there, and, I, and I'll come back to you when things really get out of control, right? I'm indifferent to you, Lord, until I pursue what I want to do. And here's the deal, church. As believers, if you have a relationship with Christ, you must never find yourself there. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. But here's the deal. You will. I will. But if you do, we must quickly repent of this and recognize and rest in God's plan. It's got to happen. Let him be the one to exalt you instead of attempting to be the one to do his job. Because here's the deal. You can rest assured that if the Lord raises you up, he will sustain you. Look at verses 5 through 15. Here we're going to see this idea of honoring God no matter what it costs. Verse 5 says this. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Pretty good schmoozers, right? There's a reason why they're probably politicians. Oh, king, you're so wonderful. You're so great. Never mind the fact that we're roping you into something that you don't quite yet see. Daniel's faithfulness, by the way, and particularly his prayer life, was extremely well known. Why do I say that? Because here's these jealous officials that hope to find an easy area of conflict in Daniel's life. And where did they go first? To his religious life. Why? Because it was on the forefront. Here's the deal. We are called to honor God even when it costs you. And as Christians, there will be evil men after us. There will be evil men and women that are, con that are not committed and led by God's objective law in a relationship with him. And we must respond knowing, one, that they are lost and be gracious and love our enemies, yet not shy back knowing that the Lord requires more of us and he gives us the strength and ability to live according to that. Daniel's religious life was not a hidden one. This was particularly convicting to me. It's not that I always seek to hide my religious life, but sometimes it's easy to try to rely on other ways to get into conversations. And Lord, then I'll be faithful to what my real commitment is. He was a well-known well prayer, a well-known committed follower to, to the Lord, a well-known commentator by the name of Stephen Miller. He's written a lot on Daniel. He said this, and you should see it on the screen. The old prophet was not a secret disciple but a man who was not ashamed to let others know that his allegiance was to the God of Israel. How are we doing with this in our own lives? You, know, you, you look at the theme of Daniel. One writer said that we encounter a common theme in the first six books of Daniel, right? Chapter one, eat the king's food or die. Chapter two, interpret the king's dream or die. Chapter three, battle the king's idol or die. Chapter five, He's tempted not to interpret this dream because he's fearful of his life. Chapter 6, don't pray to your God. If you do, you die. And over and over and over in Daniel's life, he was unwavering. Now he's an old man. But yet you never see this 
arrogance. And we'll see even how he responds to the king that puts him into the, the lion's den. How often do we, church, couch our fear of man in with what is really a faithlessness in sharing the gospel? Let me say it again, because it hit me square between the eyes, as if I were David with, or excuse me, Goliath with David's rod. How often do we couch our fear of man in with what is really a faithlessness in sharing the gospel? How often do we find ourselves relying on our influence or our status or our degree or our personality to gain us success or access into a spiritual conversation? As if the last thing we get to is our commitment to God. You know, I think Ann Arbor particularly is a place that makes it easy to shy back and live in fear. Let's just call it what it is. Now, please understand me. What I'm not saying to you is that you should beat someone over the head with the gospel every conversation you have. That's not at all what I'm saying. But if you're honest with yourself, I think you know what I'm saying. How often do we say, oh, we don't want to beat them over the head with the gospel. We, we don't want to make them feel weird. We don't want to ruin that relationship. When what we really mean is, Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I don't want to lose that friendship. Lord, I don't want to be considered weird. I don't want them to get angry at me. Because I really care in this moment more what they think about me than what you think about me. You don't find Daniel there. Why? Because of his commitment to the Lord. Not because Daniel was so great, but because of his commitment to the Lord. Does our gracious and charitable yet committed life to Christ show itself in all areas of our life? That's a question. My prayer as one of your pastors is that this church would be one that is most well known for a bold commitment to Jesus yet coupled with a gracious, charitable, and humble demeanor. Because of Daniel's commitment to the Lord, even though evil men sought to hurt him, he continued to honor God even when it cost him. So here's Daniel. He was faced with a decision to obey the law of God or obey the law of man. It's probably not often that we find ourselves there. I mean, our country's not yet telling us in a lot of areas that we're not allowed to do certain things openly. Other countries can probably relate to this a little better than us. Doesn't mean it won't happen. I believe it could very easily in our lifetime. But more probable in our everyday lives, it could look like this. A relationship, a friendship, a promotion. Do we stand strong in our convictions, even if it means losing respect, position, or friends? I know in our family's existence or experience here in Ann Arbor, of course, we have four kids, so everyone immediately thinks we're Mormons. Um, and, and no one really has any idea what to do with a crazy bunch like my family. So we've already got that kind of against us, if you will. All jokes aside, when, when Amy particularly starts talking about why we're here and what we do, most of the time people are like, okay. You know, it's like that. I, I use memes a lot. I, I kind of feel like I'm one of the best memeers, if that's even a word. Um, we could go toe-to-toe if you'd like. But I find some of the best memes are really great. And there's this one of Homer Simpson. I'm not telling you to go watch The Simpsons, but he kind of like backs slowly into the bushes. You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're picturing what I'm talking about. They're like, okay, you're weird. And then we never hear from him again. And I don't say that to say, oh, we're so great, because we're not. More often than not, probably Amy and I shy away from that. And we should repent of that because we want friends. It's hard to find friends as a couple that's our age with this many children, especially in Ann Arbor. We're weird southern people that talk a lot. I get it. 
But how, how faithful are we being here? <laughs> like, really? What are we about? Is our commitment to the Lord so strong that it doesn't matter what people think? What if we lost all friendships we had, but all we had was the Lord? Would he be enough? Would that be enough? Let me dig a little deeper. If we saw a nationwide ban of prayer, how would we respond? Half the time we're tempted to compromise when our reputation's on the line. Forget our life. Look at verses 10 through 15. Faithful Christians must stand fast no matter what. When Daniel knew what the document that the document had been signed, look what he did. He went to his house, he closed his windows, he cried to the Lord and asked why. No, that's, that's not what it says. He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king, O oh, king, concerning the injunction, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O oh, king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance like the, that the king establishes can be changed. Pr pretty, pretty difficult circumstance, right? And what we're going to see here is faithfulness must continue no matter the cost. Daniel's commitment was such that he was not willing to compromise even if it meant death. Look at verse 10. What's the first thing he did? He went to his house where he had upper windows, in his chamber, open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees and he prayed three times a day and gave thanks to God as he had done. A few things I want to point out here. Firstly, this wasn't new for Daniel. It's not as if Daniel found himself desperate and freaking out, and the first thing he did was to go pray to God because he's freaking out. No. He was continually what he normally did. This was the life of Daniel. It was a committed and disciplined life of prayer. Secondly, prayer was like rote memory for him, right? It was the first thing he thought to do. Lainey just finished a, a real intensive basketball clinic, and, and they, they're teaching her all sorts of things, right? And, and they taught her triple threat position. If you play basketball triple threat, you catch the ball, and you've got three options, right? You guard it. You've got the ball here. Keep your elbow in, and here's the deal. If you decide to shoot, triple threat, pivot, shoot, right? Catch the pass. Guard, elbow in, keep momentum, shoot. Keep momentum, shoot, right? I know it looks pretty bad. But here's the deal. We did it probably for 40 minutes yesterday. Why? Because it's rote memory. When you catch the ball, you know, guard it. You're going to pass, pass. You're going to shoot, step forward, pivot, keep the momentum, shoot. It needs to be so embedded in her mind that the first thing she does is that. So that it would be more weird not to do it, right? If you're not a sports person, sorry for that one. Here's the deal. That was the way prayer was for Daniel. 
His day would have been super weird had he not found himself praying three times a day. And I'm not telling you to pray three times a day. I'm telling you to pray 50 times a day. I'm telling you that the New Testament says, pray continuously, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Sorry, boss, can't do my job, and now i got to pray. No, that's not what it means. Come on, you know what it means. Continually talking to the Lord. But our prayer life should look continuous, but it should also look disciplined. You should find time on a daily basis to spend time in disciplined prayer with the Lord. Thirdly, in the words of John Piper, I think I put this on a slide, I'm not sure. Prayer was more precious than life to Daniel. He knew full well the consequences, yet he was radically committed to prayer. It's as if he was saying, you'll have to take my life before you take my prayer. Because here's what Daniel knew. Without prayer, he wouldn't be the man that he was. And this is true in our lives as well. How worn out is your, is your prayer closet? Maybe you don't have one. Maybe your apartment is the size of a closet. Great. Find a space to pray. This reminds me of Peter and John before the religious leaders of their day in Acts 4, 18 through 21. And these religious leaders are super angry that Jesus is getting all the attention and they're threatening the apostles with their lives. Eventually some of the apostles do end up dying and so they tell him, you can't speak of Jesus anymore. Stop doing it. Don't do it anymore. Peter and John say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. What are you talking about? That's crazy. I, I can't not speak of Jesus. He's everything to me. He's changed my life. He rules my life. And one day he'll bring me back home. So that everything in between, it matters how you live now. But if you are placing your strength and stature and commitment in things of this life, you're in major trouble. And Peter and John are like, how do you threaten a dead man? I've died to myself and I'm alive with Christ. Philippians 1.20, whether by life or by death, I will honor Christ. I know in this life I can honor you, Lord, but you know what? In death, man. For eternity, I'm praising you. So I'll keep speaking of Jesus, no matter what. Fourthly, John Piper continues to say that prayer is still a legitimate public testimony. So if you look at Galatians 2.20, I couldn't help but think of this. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And so sometimes we, we feel like prayer can be offensive, or maybe someone thinks it's weird, and you know, down south, we used to do this thing. I'm not sure what I think about it, you know, <laughs> when you ask the waitress or the waiter, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? I think in, in certain senses, if it's just you and your wife uh, or, or significant other or even just you or a friend, it's probably okay. We were at dinner one night in Ann Arbor, and there was a group of 30 of us, and a mission team was like, so how can we pray for you? And the waitress was just, like, humiliated, you know, and I, <laughs> I felt so bad for her. Now, they didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't a big deal. Everything worked out fine and everything's good. So I'm not telling you to do it every time, but I'm also telling you that sometimes it's, it's probably okay to do it, right? Prayer is still a legitimate public witness. It is because most people don't pray. And if they do, they don't pray like us because we know Jesus personally. I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll butcher this. Um, so, so whether at the dinner table or with a coworker or a friend, no matter what's going on in their life, I often will ask, you know, I don't know if you're a praying person, but is it okay if I pray for you? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, right? Most of the time they don't get angry. I don't know that anyone's ever gotten angry. But one time our, our neighbor, Amy and I had a pretty good relationship with this 
lady and her mother. She was elderly, and, and the, the daughter was probably in her 50s. And uh, they had a Catholic background, certainly not um, committed followers of, of the Catholic religion, and they, they definitely weren't believers. We had kind of confirmed that they didn't know Jesus personally. And the mom wasn't doing well. Something had happened. I don't remember. We loved them. They loved us. It was a great relationship. We missed them dearly. And, and Joni, the daughter, came over to our house, and she said, um, Amy, would you pray? Pray for my mom. And Amy was like, yeah, sure, right there on the front porch. I mean, I'm sitting with an earshot, listening to my wife pray for Joni. And, and, you know, honestly, I didn't think anything about it other than this is awesome. Like, she's praying. And as soon as Amy gets done, I mean, Amy can tell you the exact word she uses. Um, but, but basically, Joni looks at Amy, and she was like, you're, you're talking to God like you know him, like he's your friend, like, like he hears you. Like you have a relationship with him. And Amy's like, yeah, yeah, because I do. She's like, I'd, I'd like to talk with you more about that. The, the world doesn't understand that. If God is even recognized, he's far off. He doesn't care about us. Some people think you're too far gone. Prayer is still a legitimate public testimony, and it should be something that our whole life is characterized by. I'm convinced that without prayer, we will not be steadfast. So why do we see Daniel being steadfast even with the potential cost of his life? Was it because he was so great? No, I don't think so. I think it was because Daniel had such an intimate prayer and daily life with the Lord that his entire life was colored by this relationship. Daniel's prayerful dependence on the Lord produced an incredible resolve to honor God no matter the cost. May TCC look much the same. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Third thing I want you to see is asking yourself the question, do you really trust that God can deliver? We see a pretty grim circumstance here. And, and firstly, we, we must find our rest and hope in God's plan. And by the way, in God's plan, even when it's not yours. The king that seemed to love Daniel, right? He was distressed. This was his friend. At this point, he had probably realized he had been roped into this, but he couldn't change it, right? It was law. Much could be said about someone's word here. There's not much weight in our word nowadays, which is sad, but we'll save that for another sermon. Um, but can you imagine the scenario? A lion's den, like what is that even? Maybe you've been to a zoo. Maybe you hate zoos because it's bad. But regardless, a lion's den, right? Like what? A lion's den? Like who just has a lion's den? You have a lion's den at your house? Uh, yeah, Mr. Uh, Structural Engineers, we're designing our home. I'd like for you to build a big hole over there, and we're going to put lions in it. Why? I don't know, just for a rainy day. Like, come on. That's crazy. A lion's den? Maybe we, we could compare this to someone Instagram hacking us and airing out all our dirty laundry. All jokes aside, some would say showing our real selves on Instagram is worse than death. I don't, I don't, I think I've got an Instagram. I hadn't used it in years. But all jokes aside, this is, this is bad, like really bad, right? And Daniel's life is on the line. And here's the king, Daniel, may your God 
whom you serve continually deliver you. Why would he say this? Well, the logical conclusion is that Daniel had been faithful before his friend and the king. He was an unbeliever, might I add. The king at least had some hope in Daniel's deliverance because of Daniel's faithfulness to God. I'm sure he spent many hours and nights talking about what the Lord had done in his life and the promises that God had fulfilled and was going to fulfill. There was no question in the king's mind that he was committed to this God, that he didn't know personally, but knew Daniel knew, right? So here we are in the lion's den, much like the fiery furnace, much like the belly of the well for Jonah, it was sealed with signet rings of the kings and his nobles. So a lot of historians would say, here's what would happen. The stone would be put over it, it would be chained up, and then they would take soft clay, wet clay, and cover the chains with it. And then the king and his nobles would take their signet rings, and they would put them in the clay. And then obviously when the clay dried, the only way to open the tomb, if you will, would be to break the king's seal. And no one would dare do that, right? So he's locked in. Done. What hope was left? I mean, th think about it. Lion's den. The only hope was a deep hope and trust in God. I, I often imagine what, what hopelessness Daniel was tempted to have at this moment. A whole night. It wasn't like it happened immediately. A whole night. How long's a night? I don't know when the angel got there. Maybe immediately. We'll see what happens in a minute. Daniel was tempted to find himself trapped in a moment that looked like it was over. And you know what? If the Lord chose to end Daniel's earthly life, he would have praised him into eternity. I can't help but think about what the followers of Christ might have felt like when, when Jesus was crucified. Here they are looking at their Lord who they had committed their entire life to. He's on the cross, he's in agony, and he takes his last breath. And these Christians, they're asking things just like me and you do daily, maybe. Was it all a lie? Should I have trusted more in the powers in place now and the powers to be? Was it really worth my life? Is Christ really who he said he was? Can he really deliver us? Look at verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, befitting, right, because of Daniel's commitment. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, O king, live forever. He wasn't angry. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Church, the God we serve is omnipotent. That's a big fancy word that means all-powerful. The king hastily comes to the lion's den after a sleepless night. His friend, his trusted advisor, his trusted official, he addresses Daniel in a way that makes the most sense. 
Daniel, servant of the living God, is that how people would think to deliver or to, to address you or me? Daniel responds with what I like to call a Romans 13 kind of humble subjection to his governing authority, something that most of America knows nothing about. He's not angry with his king, who was the man that placed him into a lion's den. No, no, no. He recognizes that his king's a lost man, and his king did what he thought was best. And he says, O king, live forever, my God. And do not miss the fact that Daniel laid to rest any doubt that the Lord is the one who delivered him. It wasn't that the lions were sick or they weren't hungry or they couldn't see or Daniel was so strong and he overcame the lions. No, nope, nope. The Lord was at the center and he sent his angels. The Lord did it. Even in the midst of one of the most difficult circumstances Daniel's ever found himself in, he's so committed to his Lord that he gives him the glory in all, in all things. The king was overjoyed and lifted him from the lion's den, and no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. The Lord is all-powerful, and guess what, church? He will deliver all of those who trust in him. Now, let me caveat here for a minute. You may be asking, what do you mean by this, Chris? Like, okay, sounds great. The Lord is all-powerful, and he'll deliver us if we trust in him. Well, there's a lot of stories about deliverance. I see that. But what, what, about, what about those that weren't delivered? What about the, the martyrs that I read about? What, what about? what about the apostles? What about my family member who's battling cancer and so faithfully serves God? Let me be clear. Let me be really clear with you about a concept that's often difficult for us to, to, to struggle and wrestle with. But we're a church that invites doubts, and we're going to wrestle with it together, okay? Let me be really clear. Sometimes the Lord will deliver us this side of heaven. But for some of us, the deliverance will take place after our earthly death. You know, I've had this conversation even in my own personal experience with, with coworkers. They're working their butts off and they're doing their best to try to exceed and get the promotion and make the money. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. And I have to say to some of these who are believers, look, the Lord may not want you to be the greatest sales guy in the company. Maybe he's trying to teach you something. Maybe he knows, because he's infinitely knowing all things, that if you did have that power and prestige, that you wouldn't use it faithfully. So trust that the Lord sees you and trust that he has you where you're at. Just like Daniel was delivered, by the way, Christ overcame death and was delivered all the more, right? Brandon referred to this, because Christ overcame death, we too can rest in this promise. He will deliver us. Why, Chris? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. Because the gospel is good news and it's truth. So Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to earth. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling all of the law, fulfilling all of the prophecies. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet he was found blameless. He never sinned. He was perfect. And he went to the cross and he died in our place. He became sin for those who would continually overlook him and continually be indifferent to him and continually sin against him. Yet he humbled himself, died on the cross as a perfect substitution for us, went into the tomb, was sealed with a stone, but three days later he rose again. 
And on that cross, he knew everything that we would do and say and think that would bring disgust to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he did it anyways. And so I'm here to tell you that we can have hope in God's deliverance in our life because if you trust in him with a commitment that even surpasses Daniel, you will stand unwavering and committed to Christ. But furthermore, you will be delivered whether in this life or the next. It'll happen. And we cannot forget that God has all the power and he's not taken by surprise with a coronavirus or a new president or a regime in Russia, whatever worries you on a daily basis. A relationship in your family. We don't fear death because our eternity is kept for us in heaven and it was accomplished through Christ on the cross. But you know what? Not only do we not fear death, we don't fear hard times in life. That's why we have the church. That's why I would look at all of you and say, if you're not involved in a small group, you gotta be because we carry one another. We are going through hard times. We've got to know about it so we can push each other. Hebrews says, pushing one another towards love and good deeds. I've said it before. It's like poking one another in the ribs. Not punching, poking, sorry. I might punch you if it needs, if it needs to happen. Poking one another. I do it with my kids all the time. They hate it. But guess what? They move. Poke. Ah, dang, stop. Why? Because I love them. Get out of the way. A car's coming. Come on. Don't be foolish. Come on, Dana. Trust the Lord. I know this is hard, but trust the Lord. We're here, to, we're here to walk with you. Right? Come on, Matt. You're almost there. You're going to finish. I know things are hard, but trust the Lord. Be committed. We must never forget the Lord is all-powerful and will ultimately deliver all of those who trust in and profess true faith in Christ. Have you done that? Because if not, I get why you'd be worried. I would. But I'd love to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Look at the last three verses and then I'll finish up. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Listen to this. This is crazy. I don't know that in my whole life I've ever brought more glory in a statement than what this unbeliever does, by the way. It's crazy. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He was saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In verses 25 to 28, we often see God using us and, I would even say, believers for his glory. Even unbelievers can be used to proclaim his name. King Darius writes a decree to all peoples and nations and languages on the earth that bring attention and praise to the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And man, it was articulate. Like, look at what all he says. Unpack that statement. It's pretty incredible. But here's Daniel, little Daniel, 85 probably at this point. Little did he know how impactful his life and faithfulness would be. He simply trusted the Lord and walked in faithfulness. I'll never forget, uh, there was an older man in the church that I served years ago, and his wife had passed away, and he was really on his deathbed. He was very encouraging to me. Um, And and to watch uh, a husband for seven years cared for his wife in a way that I've just never seen. I mean, where in many cases, and and rightfully so, um, spouses would place their their spouse into assisted care, um, bathed her, fed her, brushed her hair. Unbelievable. 
I mean, just and gracious and humble. And I'll never forget, I sat with him less than 12 hours before his death. And I walked in his room, and, you know, as I'd done many times, and just, you know, said, hey, I got to know. I'm a young married guy. I've no flipping clue what I'm doing. I got a kid on the way. I still don't have any clue what I'm doing, by the way. I said, how did you do it? I watched you love your wife so well. How did you do it? He grabbed my hand. He said, I held his hand and she held mine. That's it. And I sought to be committed to the Lord no matter what. No matter what people thought. No matter the decisions I had to make that I didn't want to make. No matter the friendships I lost. I held his hand and she held mine. I thought, man, that's just so simple. It's just so simple. Yet we make it so difficult. The pattern of our lives must be a deep dependence on the Lord. That impacts our daily life, but further, you'll see on the screen, that impacts the nations for his glory. This is what he calls us to. My prayer is that TCC would be so caught up in our dependence on Christ that our lives would be found fully dependent on the grace of Christ for all of life. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so 